Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.B. Mosher. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. J.P., how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. We are wrapping up our fun-filled 80s month with a banger of a song. And just how y'all figured we would end this song, a song featuring probably the greatest violin hook mm. of our generation. We and y'all know. know we're going to find a way to talk with this violinist. So right. stick around for a doozy of an interview. Rob, tell them what song we're wrapping up 80s month with. You can't talk about the 80s without talking about Come On Eileen oh. by Dexy's Midnight Runners. Yes. Play it, Helen. Come on. <laughs> It's just brought a new kind of dance out of me. I've never done that before. We're all doing ugly dances right now, and (laughs) it's okay. I'm wearing overalls with no socks, (laughs) no undershirt. How about that banjo just getting it on the right side? Banjo solo. (laughs) Bringing us back in. Okay, there's so much to talk about on this song. That is Come On Eileen by Dexy's Midnight Runners from the 1982 album Tourie. That is T-O-O-R-Y-E-A-Y. Written by Kevin Rowland, Jim Patterson, and Billy Adams. Or was it? Oh. Or double was it? Whoa. All right, we'll get into it. The song itself went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and the U.S. Cashbox chart, number six on the Billboard Top Tracks, number 31 in the U.S. Adult Contemporary chart. It went number one in the U.K., Australia, Belgium, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, Switzerland, number two in Canada, Mm. where it got held up by Pass the Duchy. Uh, and it went top 10 a bunch of other Past places. the Joe Dolce. The- <laughs> uh, it, this song, Come On Eileen, in the U.S., knocked no less than Michael Jackson's Billie Jean oh from goodness. the Billboard number Maybe one position. Maybe you've heard it. Yeah. So this is the one that took out Billie Jean from number one. It ended the 1982 year as the number one U.K. song of the year, and it was the number 13 Billboard song for 1983. It is probably three times platinum by now in the UK. And based on what I've seen since we started this show, that's really freaking hard to do. (laughs) To sell 1.5 million records in the UK, is that's an awful lot of records. Um, It was originally, here we go, claimed by Roland, Patterson, and Adams. But Kevin Roland, lead singer uh, and kind of uh, visionary of of, uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners, admitted in 2020 that he had essentially stolen the vibe of it from founding Dexy's member Kevin Archer, and he gave him some uh, writing credit and some restitution uh, monetarily. This gets even weirder in a minute, but... Let's hear right now a song called What Does Anybody Ever Think About um, by Kevin Archer's group, which on its own is right catchy song. Well, it's the fun. Blue Ox Babes, who we'll hear more about. 
gang vocally can't argue with it. Yeah. Kind of bouncy thing, and then something's about to happen that really makes you go, oh, okay. But Rob, are there any tempo and key changes in <laughs> Dexies? <laughs> it's weird. They're kind of speeding up. I mean, okay. All right, right? It's not hard to see where he might have drawn inspiration uh, as a foundational element of this yeah. song. So now, like I said, that gets weirder in a minute, but we'll, we'll get there. A close read of the lyrics uh, reveals that, by the way, I, I bet you 10 bucks you don't know 10 words of this song, right? Poor like, old Johnny Ray. You get that? And you get, come on, Eileen. Yeah. Oh, I swear. From this moment, from you, you mean everything. everything. And that's literally all I knew until I read the lyrics. Dress. That's the- <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, so come but, on, but th- there you go. That's true. Come on, yeah. Uh, but a close read of the lyrics reveals that the song itself is about a friendly relationship that the singer is trying to take to another level, at least physically. Roland himself was raised uh, Catholic, and so part of this song is the struggle with feeling these desires amidst a society that represses or shuns them. Um, and so you have, and, and it originally had some elements of these. Um, songwriters like johnny ray and and it had more names thrown in it had a, uh, originally a different title too i may have that in my notes somewhere uh the song has appeared in the tv series preacher movies the perks of being a wallflower get him to the greek and of course a favorite for our generation tommy boy uh, as they're going down the street singing yes. they've got the busted up car and they're singing this they sing it's the end of the world as we know it they sing um Oh, what's Don't it? you remember you told me you love me, baby? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. And what's the, they sing one in Spanish. Eres two. Uh, they sing Eres two in Spanish. <laughs> Um, yeah, it won best British single at the 1983 Brit Awards, and it was voted Britain's sixth favorite number one single from the 80s. So they said Britain loves these. They do these lists kind of yeah. differently than we do. So they said, what's our favorite number one songs from the 80s? That's a neat one. This was number six. Come okay. on, Eileen. Do you have the list? I do. I have the list. The top five would be I Want to Dance with Somebody, Whitney sure. Houston. Can't. Number four, Tainted Love, Soft yeah, Sale. Yeah, Soft Sale. Number three, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Bonnie Tyler. Number two, Billie Jean, which this knocked off of number uh-huh, one. Yeah. And number one, Every Breath You Take by the police. All right. A few listening notes, if you will, because we're going to talk about the weird key stuff in in this song. Okay. So we have the opening melody in F. That's this. F major. This is an Irish folk song. Okay. Called Believe Me If All Those Endearing Young Charms. Okay. It's the one from Looney Tunes. You know this? You you rec- you know that melody from Looney Tunes? I hear that and I immediately go, "Oh, that's Looney Tunes." Okay, um, like when you hear "Kill the Web," oh, you don't okay, go, "That's yeah. Wagner." You go, "That's Bugs Bunny," <laughs> right? Okay, so uh, it's from it's from Looney Tunes where uh, Yosemite Sam, Wiley Coyote, yeah. or Daffy Duck, depending on which cartoon you're watching, has a piano or a xylophone rigged with dynamite, and Bugs or the Roadrunner, they just won't play the last note of the phrase right. Okay, and so then, stick around. We'll be talking to Yosemite Sam. <laughs> And Rob was just going to do all the... I'm a rooting this to <laughs> this doggone polecat. Yosemite, thank you for stopping by. It's been a minute since we've had a special guest just pop in. I hate rabbits. That's good. Right. There you go. That's good. Uh, let's let's go. see. So this is a musical gag that has stuck with me from a very early age. I play it pretty often on pianos. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to play you this a little piece of this bomb joke. So the gag is that like somebody's got a bomb rigged up with explosives and the you know the the foil of the show won't play it right and so then they go they end up going that's not how it goes and they go play it themselves and get themselves blown up right yeah instead of a xylophone he'll be playing a harp (laughs) (laughs) now with your kind indulgence i'll play those endearing young charms that's wrong you dumb bunny try it again Oh, no, no, you stupid rabbit! Like this! 
<laughs> there you <laughs> there go. You All go. right, gag over. So they use that same gag no fewer than four times in Looney Tunes over the years. Uh, and I think it's hilarious every time. The Coyote and the Roadrunner do it. It's great. Uh, so that's part one. That's yeah. the opening melody in F, the opening refrain. Um, then we go to the that opening melodic refrain to a four-bar intro in F. Okay. Then another short intro in C after this. Which is so where the verse going is. To C so right we're now. in C for the verse, right? Yeah. I guess it's in the eight bar. Eight bar intro in F. Now we're going to C. Now we're in C. And that leads us finally to the verse if you're keeping score at home that's three intros before the <laughs> verse starts okay <laughs> then we go to the chorus which is suddenly in d major so that's a g the five in c or the four in the next key then going to d All right, then we're back to C for the turnaround after the verse and the second verse, then D again for the chorus, where we'll stay for the rest of the song, through the bridge Bridges and, and, D and, and all that, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the all-time great gang vocals on this song, you know, all the, come on, oh, and then the stuff in the chorus, It's and it's they're sort of like breaking the fourth wall a little bit on the chorus, um, and it's it, if you read the lyrics, it's really interesting. And then just the happiest, liveliest violin part you could ever ask for, and we're going to talk to Helen about that, and she's a real deer. We had a great, great time uh, with Helen. Let's talk about the tempo. Let's just talk about the tempo change, okay? So we've got this Did breakdown. Did you BPM it out? I did. I BPM'd oh, it out yes. closely. Okay. So I didn't like do a full bar by bar no, tempo close map because that would have taken forever. But here's basically what happens. We get this breakdown in the middle. So the starting BPM of the song itself is about 103 beats a minute. Okay? And that's including the intro. That's not counting the violin. violin but once we come in. Original. Da, 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 right. That's a boom. Boom, boom, yep. boom, boom, boom. About 103, 105, 103. About 103. The verses settles in about 106, okay? okay? Now, the chorus, you can feel there's a little push, but it's right. It feels right. There's a little push to around 110, 111 on the choruses, okay? Then the middle section starts at the same tempo as the chorus, but it's swung, and and the feel makes it feel like it's slowed down. But it's really so the it's same like tempo. So it's like 55? So it's like, come on, I mean, okay. right? That same tempo. Take a listen. Okay. So here's our original tempo. Bop, 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 then a break. It's really about the same. It's intended to be about the same tempo. It just feels ha- like it, it feels doesn't like even half time. It feels like it, though. But the me. kick and snare are in the same place. Yeah. It's just swung. Dut, 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 dut. just feels lazy. Okay. Now. We're going to build up, and if you're counting strictly by where kick and snare are being one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, we're going to build somewhere upwards of 235. Goodness gracious. Okay? If you're following through one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, we're going to get up above 235 beats a minute. Okay? So that's over twice as fast. Yes. And then we're back to about 119 for the final Okay, so chorus, it's still faster. Which is like the original, but a little faster, a few beats a minute faster. So what happens? essentially is they speed up to the point that they're roughly double the original tempo right and then so that when they hit that last chorus there's really not a tempo change at all okay because you've gone from now the choruses the chorus is but they sped up to the point where it was going right so it's really kind of brilliant yeah um but yes, and okay, check this out. Apparently, the feel of "Come on, Eileen," the j- sort of general feeling, and I've never thought about this, but it's so right. Uh, helped Cindy Lauper and her production team find the feel for "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." I've never connected those songs mentally, but according to Eric Bazilian, who worked on the track, they'd been struggling to get it to groove right, and Cindy suggested "Come on, Eileen" as kind of a template, and it stuck. Right, just the just the kind of feeling yeah. that ragged sort of. Yeah, feeling that's good is is exactly right for it. i could see cindy lopper in in this group 
Like I absolutely. could, I could throw her in there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. She'd have no problem with the costume. Yeah, like Cindy Lauper and like Boy George. Yeah, could have both been Jump in Dexter's in. Midnight Run. Do it. Yeah. Maybe there were. There've been so many members. <laughs> it, honestly, it could have happened. I Th- think that's a great segue into Meet the Band. Okay. because it's lengthy, and I'm going to give one sentence on each. So <laughs> okay, do let's do it. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the going to meet the band i'm just gonna like i said i'm gonna give one sentence because there's so many members so here we go kevin roland bass guitar piano vocals in groups lucy and the lovers killjoys before dexies um another hit song gino there we go seb shelton drums in the young bucks and secret uh, uh excuse me in the young bucks and secret affair and manage the bands the wooden tops and julian cope among others pause Greg Kilkenny on bass. If you look up tracks he's played on and albums, it's basically Dexies and a bunch of their greatest hits albums. Okay. So, there you go. Giorgio Kilkenny on bass. Banjo and guitar, Kevin Billy Adams. Um, A passion for video games led him to study computing and multimedia. Um, So, kind of the where are they now? I want to know how a guy named Kevin gets the nickname Billy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's got a maybe a middle name. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kevin quotes Billy Adams. That's true. Uh, Mickey Billingham on organ, piano, accordion, and keyboards. Co-founded a band with Andy Grocat. Grocat, excuse me, called the General Public. Okay. Pencil or period. <laughs> I'm holding a pencil when I said that. Period. Big in quotes, Jim Patterson. Okay. I don't know if that's because he's not big, right? Or because, or because he, is he is really big. Yeah. So big in quotes, Jim Patterson. Patterson with one T. Trombone. Um, also performed performed with an artist. Also did what now? Also performed with an artist named Jeff Blythe. Okay. Period. Paul Spear on flute and saxophone and tin whistle in TKO horns. Legendary horn section who played with Paul Young, Elvis Costello. Among others. Period. Brian <laughs> Maurice, saxophone, passed away in 2018, and that's all I could find. Okay. Period. Sorry, Brian. On bass, also, um, not credited on some releases, uh-huh. so a little bit of a, of a controversy there on if he actually played bass, but that's more than one sentence, so I have to stop talking. Steve <laughs> Wynn, in the same Steve Wynn-led band, The Dream Syndicate. Okay. There you go. Period. On vocals, here comes a list. The next three are just vocalists. Carolyn Kenyon had a hit song with the group Heaven 17 and sang the song Temptation that went to number three in the UK. Um, there's a part you could go listen to, but whatever. Um, on vocals, Katie Kissoon um, sang as Mac and Katie Hisson. Had another song called Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap. Of course. Why not? There's more on that later. Another vocalist, <laughs> Sam Brown, had another charting hit in 1988 called Stop. Um, it's the best of the three Scarlet Sisters. Okay. Whatever. There you go. All right. Um, okay, that's all the vocalists. On violin, number one, Steve Brennan injured his shoulder playing and now works in forensic mental health. Okay. Period. Right. And violin number two, Helen O'Hara, yeah. who we're going to be hanging out with. There we go. We got through that with one sentence. And full <laughs> disclosure, I can spin around and show this to Rob. I did this, and I normally do everything in Microsoft Word because I'm cool like that. Yeah. And somehow I expanded my page, so it cut off a lot of the second nice. facts I had. So on the fly, I was like, you know what? We're just doing one sentence on okay. each. So there you go. That's the band All right. that played uh, That's on this great. track. So. All right. A lot of different instruments. A lot of different instruments. A lot of like, you know, it was a very specific kind of vibe that Kevin Rowland was trying to put together for this. And it was not the vibe of the original band. Like you said, they originally formed... Uh, from a group uh, called the Killjoys, and that was a straight up punk group. Like yeah. it was, you know. And uh, Roland wanted to change directions, and apparently, Dexys was birthed out of a UK movement called Northern Soul, um, where British kids would like stay up all night, raving to crazy American R and B and soul records, taking drugs and tripping. <laughs> and apparently, Dexy is short for dextroamphetamine, um, which they would they would take to stay awake. Um, to be able to finish these like all night R and B raves, um, which I just think is the funniest thing. Um, and by the way, just FYI, Dexy's Midnight Runners has no apostrophe. It's that's right. De- it's Dexy's with no that's right. D E X Y S with no apostrophe. Not Dexy is. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not the Midnight Ownership. Runners that Dexy owns. That's right. It's just Dexy's Midnight Runners. I don't know. Uh, okay, 
So you remember a little while ago when I said this is going to get weirder in a minute? Yes. All right. That's that's happening now. This is where that happens. Um, we said that Kevin Rowland admitted that he stole the the feel and the kind of bones of the song uh, from Kevin Archer, but the song also bears a striking resemblance to what else? An American R and B soul record from the time, Jimmy James's "A Man Like Me." Oh well, yeah. Oh, Are you kidding? Oh my! Come on. Okay. I mean, so. So, oh yeah. So yeah, it's kind of probably yeah. almost definitely double stolen, right? Yeah, that that, that second one's like there's no way it's around that. Like undeniably, you know, that's that's if that happens now, that's hundred percent. That's a lawsuit. You oh, know definitely. I mean? And you're getting creamed in court. Absolutely. Um, so it's like. This, I mean, what did he do on this song? He wrote the <laughs> lyrics and then kind of cut and pasted from other from other stuff to you know come up with the song. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's wild. That's Thanks, just wild. Helen, for providing a killer violin part. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, what happened? The original lineup of Dexys split. Kevin Archer formed the Blue Ox Babes, of which Hel- Helen O'Hara was a member before being recruited yeah. to Dexys. Uh, and she'll talk about that some, too. Kevin Rowland is, is a famously visionary guy, very particular and kind of cantankerous. Uh, and many have found him difficult to work with because he's one of these guys who wants every little thing just how he wants it and really won't have it any other way. So the result has been the breakup, reformation, and constant lineup change in Dexys Midnight Runners. Um. I think that's about it as far well, as... Well, you got weird there, so yeah. I'm going to get weird with Stump the Genius. Let's, Let's play it. Stump the Genius. Come on. Stump the Genius, Stump the Genius, Stump the Genius, it's time to Stump the Genius. Jump up and take your part. I said your part. My average is up. I'm trying to keep 80% for the season. That's my goal, you guys. And I'm there. I think I, I got close. We have to do some math. We, yeah, I've got to do a little math, but I'm close. All right, guys. We are going to play Stump the Genius. Is this Helen O'Hara... Or is this Catherine O'Hara? <laughs> and y'all will know Catherine from Home Alone as the mom who says, Come on! Sure. As among other things. More uh, recently Creek. from Shit's Creek. Yeah, yeah, different things. So anyway, is this Catherine O'Hara or Helen O'Hara? So wow. simply say, um, so anyway, that's the best I could come up with on okay, this. So right. we're trying to keep it weird. See if Rob <laughs> can get at least four of these five. Okay. Um, so you get 50% a chance because it's right. either Catherine or here. Is older. Uh, I'll go... Uh, just in the matter of politeness to our guests, I'm going to say Catherine. That's right. Okay. Ring, ring, All right. ring, ring oh, that bell. Ring, ring, By two All years. Right. 54 versus 56. I guess we probably shouldn't say the age. But, <laughs> but anyway, Catherine we'll by two it. years. So good job there. All right. Sang a song in Christopher Guest's A Mighty Wind. That would be Catherine O'Hara. That's O'Hara. Sang yeah. one more time and A Mighty Wind. Nice yeah. job. Two for two. Has a sister, Mary O'Hara, who has an album named Miss America. I'm going to go with Helen. Is that, that is Helen? Catherine. Oh, oh false, false ringing of the bell because it's in his hand. But okay, so here's, here's two, three. The, here's the thing I got to remember is that Helen O'Hara is not Helen O'Hara by birth. There's lots of names. Stage so, name. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, there you right. go. So keep that in mind. Okay. Irish descent raised Catholic. I'm going to, I'm going to go Helen. That is Catherine. Come on. Gotcha. With that, on. One. that is the trick among tricks. Come on. So we're at 50%. Here we go. Last one. Uh, has a condition called situs inversus in which the major visceral organs are reversed or mirrored from their normal positions. Wow. Situs inversus. I've heard about this on a TV show. No. <gasps> I've heard about this on a, the new Batman podcast on Spotify. Well, there you go. Wow. Who has it, Crazy. Catherine or Helen? I, well, everything else has been Catherine, so I'm going to guess it's Catherine. It is Catherine. Ring, ring, ring. So I intentionally <laughs> made them all about Catherine uh, because there is so much goodness that you are going to learn yeah, about well, Helen, Helen coming yeah. up in a minute. And I don't want any of these nonsensical facts to take away from the absolute treasure <laughs> that is Helen O'Hara. You guys are going to love her. We love yes. her. She was wonderful. Rob, She's she got very Rob sweet. went three for five, so he's sixty percent today. So yeah. I think he's still in the running. We have to like, do some weird math with the seven for seven he yeah. did last week yeah um but rob doing well All doing right. well 
Well, let's. We're going to talk to Helen O'Hara. Uh, she's very sweet. She's like a whole packet of sugar, and <laughs> uh, we're going to have a great time with her. So, but first, she's not just a spoonful. She's no, like a whole bag like, full. Yeah, she's just a bag full of sugar. I don't know if you want to be called that or not. Uh, it's, we it sounds weird we're throwing when a compliment full. at you. Yes, absolutely. We here mean that in here the best in the way. South, where we like lots of sugar in our sweet tea. Oh man, a bag full of sugar yeah. is the ultimate compliment. That's right. It's a necessary ingredient. That's right. Is what it is. <laughs> That's right. It's Without it, the tea doesn't work at all. It's just brown water. It's yeah. So nobody wants that. That's Unsweet right. tea is the worst thing ever discussed. <laughs> yay for sweet tea. Yay for Helen O'Hara. That's right. All right, we're going to go talk to Helen in just a second. But first, I need you to drop what you're doing, wherever you are, however you're doing it, and whoever you're doing it with. Just stop it. Stop being filthy. And Eileen, uh, come on. Come on. Come on, Eileen. Seriously. Um, stop what you're doing and go follow us on all the social media things. You guys know the deal. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Great Song Pod. The Facebook group is called Great Songs and the great people who love them greatly. Johnny Ray was about to get kissed and you're like, stop it. And yeah. we're like, ah, oh, poor old Johnny Ray. Yeah, poor, okay. poor old Johnny Ray. Um, sorry, Johnny. We'll make it up to you someday. Um, <laughs> that rhymed. Um, I actually stole that from an R&B soul singer. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, uh yeah, uh, and then uh, if you want to be a part of uh, producing the show, you can go to patreon.com slash greatsongpod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash greatsongpod. And if you choose to support us there on any level, we'll give you everything that we possibly can to say thanks. Um, early episodes, extended shows, bonus shows, a, a weekly bonus show through autographed the season. Autographed Ray Stevens cards, that, autographed, we've, we've done it. not by Ray Stevens, but by that's us right. as Ray Stevens. That's right. We've done it. I promise. We've done it. <laughs> um, I know it sounds weird. We did it. Um, next, we're going to do autographed Kevin Rowland cards. That's right. Not autographed by Kevin Rowland. Uh, we're going to get Macaulay Culkin to sign as Kevin McAllister. <laughs> As Catherine O'Hara. As Catherine. Kevin! There you go. All right. Uh, so, yeah. Whatever I was saying, just do that. Don't even don't even think about it. Go to patreon.com slash greatsongpod and support the show and help us to, uh, you know, cover our costs and do more with the show uh, than we would otherwise be able to manage. And we'll see you guys in just a few minutes after we talk to the sweetest violin player that we know. We'll see you guys in a few minutes after we talk to the very sweet, very musical, very smart and intelligent Helen O'Hara. We'll see you guys on the other side. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Helen O'Hara, a brilliant string player, the the uh, the hands behind the sound oh, that you love on the Dexys Midnight Runners hits. Um, so, Helen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Great Song Podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. So we we kind of were in a conversation, and I said, let's just let's He's just like let's just start recording. We do this all the time this. where we just start talking to people. And we're like, we might ought to just lay this down. Yeah. So we, we were talking about you know, obviously, come on, Eileen is this iconic track, and it and it continues to get lots of radio airplay to this day, which is impressive enough uh, with with everything that's out there now. But you can turn on any sort of like you know, top 40 station that plays music from various decades and you're going to hear it. Yeah. Um, and, and it just has this quality about it that makes your day better. You know, it's, it's, it's bubbly and it's uplifting and it's cheerful and it's kind of quirky. Um, what, what is it when, when you guys were first working on that track, did you go, there's something here that people are going to love this. Well, it's, it's quite interesting because when I joined the group or was first started working with the group, I was still at college. So I was leading this sort of double life. So when I'd come into the, the rehearsal rooms, they'd pretty much written the song. Okay. Pretty much. It had different lyrics. Um, it was actually called James, Stan and Me. James being James Brown, Stan being a nickname for Van Morrison and me being Kevin. So he's it's obviously a fan of the, the other wow. two. Um, cool. So it had a different different. So Kamen Arlene was James Stan and me. You know, can you? I mean, yeah. it's weird now sure. to think of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I missed out part of the writing, pro- witnessing the writing process. But apparently, Kevin, with a couple of the other writers, went through all the keys there were from the verse to the chorus to find out which was the best key. Yeah. So that, that sort of shift when yeah. you get into the chorus was, it was a lot of work. I think they did spend a lot of time writing the song. And, and interestingly, I played it very recently in a sort of more acoustic setting with 
um, Tim Burgess from the Charlatans okay. um, in his, with his solo um, solo group. And um, one of the um, musicians, Nitin Sawney, he said, wow, I just can't believe how sort of complicated this arrangement is, except that when you listen to the song, you don't think that. You know, it's just like you say, this bubbly, lovely, happy, summery song. Um, but when you start to analyse it, it, it's awesome, actually. Yes. Um, but but that's from a musician's point of view. But um, but yeah, it's there's a lot to it. But I think all those ingredients have created this quite unique song. Um, and I, I do think it's... I think when it was released in the UK um, initially, it was um, it was released in the summer, and for me, it's always got that air of summer about it, even if I hear it in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like summer. That's good. Is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it weird to you to be, you know, uh, walking through the aisle at a grocery store and then all of a sudden hear yourself <laughs> playing overhead? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it is. But um, I kind of. Look around, but of course nobody recognizes me. You know, it's kind of like just keep walking. You know, <laughs> do you <laughs> but, ever just want to go? Just, that's me, you guys. That's me. <laughs> no, no, I don't. But I do feel, I, I do feel incredibly proud each time I hear it. I do feel really proud. I think, wow, forty years on, you know, it's still being played. So it's cool. Yeah, that's going to be but one do- of those one of those tracks that in a hundred years. You know, when people talk about the music of the 1980s, it's going to be one of yeah. the tracks that people talk about. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really yeah. amazing to yeah. think about. Um, it is amazing. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, when you first became, what was it like for you becoming sort of the musical director of Dexys? Um, you know, was, was leading the other instrumentalists, was that something you were comfortable with, prepared for? Um, and did you encounter any sort of undue pushback being a woman, you know, anything like that? What was the, the, that experience like? Well, that came more into effect with, well, I led the Emerald Express fiddle section mm-hmm. um, in the Turai A album. But when we moved on to Don't Stand Me Down, the third Dexys album, that's when I became musical director. Um, and by then I was kind of, it felt it was a natural progression, okay. you know, because um I'd been with the band, you know, for two years or so. Um, my music college training, uh, you know, had was there, which was because Jim Patterson, the trombone player, had initially been more, more of that sort of role, I suppose, and he'd left the band. So I, it was a very natural process, put it that way. I sort of took over, and I never had any problems at all with any of the musicians. Wonder, uh, that's you awesome. know, yeah, it was it was also. I mean, I I didn't even think about it actually. It was just, it was just fine you know <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what we like but, to hear it, yeah it makes we, we us feel love good. that it's, that's what we want yeah we don't want like, any kind of strife or anything that's drama good. sells more views and stuff but we like but to we, hear we, it, we like it easy we yeah like smooth sailing yeah you you mentioned uh you know different basically the, i'm going to tie it into the live at shaftesbury theater in 1982 you gained like a yeah. company or an arsenal of multiple violinists with you to come on stage um which i loved and so you obviously you just disclosed that you put all that together um so yes. you, you kind of you say here's what you're going to do here's how we're going to come out do you do the stage production as well too or mainly just the the musical side of the approach when right. the arsenal of violinists come up so I like that word, Arsenal <laughs> violins, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it was Kevin's idea to use three violins. That was his idea. Um, I found one of them, okay. who was a, a college um, associate, and the other guy auditioned, Simon. Um, and actually, all the parts, really, I, I mean, pretty much most of them were arranged by Kevin. Oh, the, wow. The That's awesome. But between, but between us, we... We got the sound, you know, because it, it, Kevin wanted a particular unique sound for the string section. And so he was suggesting things and we would work with him on that. So, for example, he'd say, um, don't use any vibrato, you know, the slightly wobbly sound. Mm-hmm. He said, just play it very straight. Um, he said, phrase like the horns phrase. So we would really listen to how they played and, and try and emulate that on the fiddles. So, um Use a lot of open strings, so that gave it a very sort of hard, hard sound, sort of firm sound. So all these combinations, we sort of facilitated, you know, through his direction, if you like. That's so awesome. it was a two-way thing, and that's, I think, is how it, you know, we got this unique 
Emerald Express sound. Yeah, it's great. It's um, good. And it was really working a lot together, a lot of practice to, to finish all the phrasing together and come off, you know, finish the bows together and that sort of thing. <laughs> and really lay into it, you know, as right as, as you say at the Shaftesbury Theatre, the Arsenal of Fiddles, you know, yeah. it was, it, Kevin liked us to be theatrical when we played. Yeah. And by being theatrical, you really had to give it some welly, you know. So uh, <laughs> all those combinations made us quite sort of fearsome, actually. <laughs> We're foot on the monitors and all that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You, uh, you mentioned kind of how you wanted you to be theatrical. Were you always comfortable on stage? Are you a natural performer? Or is that something that you developed over time? Because your stage presence is very energetic. Like, you definitely look comfortable on stage. Is that something that developed over time? Oh, or have you, you always been comfortable? Um, well, I started playing when I was nine, ten, you know, so... But in an orchestra, you know, like school orchestras and things. Um, but I did play with groups before I went to music college. I played for about three years um, with some groups in Bristol. And we, you know, we, we toured all the time, you know, pub circuit and things. And I think I developed my um, pop persona, if you like, then. Mm-hmm. Um, but playing on stage, I, I suppose, because we were always working, you know, in, in college or wherever giving concerts you just sort of um we're used to playing in front of audiences but funny enough the playing with dexes that's an interesting question actually is is playing with dexes that it felt very natural to perform with that theater mm-hmm. i'd never i'd never played like that before with <laughs> with any other groups you know yeah. but it just it just felt natural maybe because everybody else was performing like that as yeah. well and Kevin had choreographed where we should stand and where we would, should move forward and that sort of thing. So, and a lot of rehearsal. There were weeks and weeks of rehearsal. So, well, you're definitely in your element there. You, it looks natural. <laughs> you mentioned "Don't Stand Me Down," so I I want to go back yeah. and touch on that because on this is what she's course, like. Yeah. You're given writing credits. Um, did, are yes. you doing more of the lyrical, more of the musical, or more of the combo on uh, "This Is What She's Like"? I'll tell our listeners go to minute twelve twenty three of the film. If you, it's kind of about your rocking <laughs> that plaid skirt. And ten forty seven has my favorite violin moment of you. Is it set up with the mandolin, and then you just go blistering? Oh. Um, Oh, that's that's my favourite bit of playing there as well. We go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. We're, we're, we're together. I yeah. love Thank that. you. Um, so Thank you. Are you more musical in the writing credits there, or do you yeah. contribute? Okay, I, I figured that was yeah. your contribution. Yeah, Kev, Kevin has always been the lyrics, and um, so I was more yeah musical little lines, little parts. Um, often putting the chords under Kevin's melodies, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, more of that. I um in in doing some research and and even just based on um, some of the things you're telling us it, it certainly seems that that um that Kevin had very specific visions for how he wanted things done and was pretty meticulous about you know making sure it it came out the way he was hearing it or seeing it or envisioning it um and so with that in mind I want to know how many takes did it take for the band to nail all the tempo changes and everything like that in in come on eileen and even just sort of the studio atmosphere in general but but with you know come on eileen has that really sweeping tempo change down and then back up again um how 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 tough was it to figure out exactly how you guys wanted to do that in the studio well lots of rehearsal beforehand um interestingly for that song i came in because i was still at college mm-hmm. i came in to do the violin parts afterwards okay. okay um so i wasn't there when the original rhythm section were doing their parts but it wouldn't have taken that long because the band was so rehearsed and it was all recorded in a few weeks mixed and recorded in a few weeks whereas don't stand me down was a very different kettle of fish we we struggled finding the the right drummer really um and the first we had a few stages of recording this so the initially we went to Montreux in Switzerland with um uh, a drummer called Crusher who sadly is no longer with us but um we Kevin and me had seen him play with Etta James he was Etta oh, James wow. drummer in in New, in New York in 1983 but anyway we we contacted Crusher um, because the tour IA drummer Seb Shelton had left and said, you know, would he come and record with this? And, and in fact, you know, he was an absolutely amazing drummer, but 
it was just one of those things. It didn't work out. And actually, we only got one track, which was Listen to This. But that was phenomenal. So, you know, even though that's all we got with him, it was, I don't think anybody could have played it better. You know, he just got the... He got all the tension and everything that that song needed. So then Crusher went back to uh, New York and we were thinking, who, you know, who can we find now? Um, we auditioned some more drummers. We found um, Woody Woodmansey from David Bowie's mm-hmm. early years. Yeah. Um, again, we had a very similar thing. Woody, <laughs> Woody was great. We got one track, The Waltz from Woody, mm-hmm. wow. but the rest of it wasn't quite working out. We wanted um, somebody who would play um, kind of Al Green, very behind the beat, you know, kind of, it's sort of Charlie Watts. It's it. Um, it's a certain groove, anyway. Yeah. And Dude, we I love we your knowledge. I'm sorry. Yeah. you're speaking. We are like yeah. we do a meet the band section. So the fact that you're going so deep here is making me real happy. Yes, I just it. had to pause. Oh, on good. Oh, oh, Keep oh, going. That's, oh, yeah. talk like okay. this forever. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you. But anyway, so so we were thinking, well, who can we get now? You know, who who can we ask to be? It, surely it can't be that difficult. <laughs> and Kevin and me had been. To, well, obviously it had been. But Kevin and me had been to see um, Al Green play at the Royal. Albert Hall in London and we'd noticed his drummer Tim Dancy yeah that's so good and I said to Kevin look that's our man you know we we, we, let's just get you know I know it it, it's expensive getting musicians over from America but in the if he's right then it will we'll do it really quickly and Tim came over (laughs) honestly it, it was amazing me and Billy Adams the guitarist went into a studio with Tim for a few days no one day one day it was and as you said, um, uh, Kevin's very meticulous. So all the drum parts he wanted as we'd sort of written them. So it wasn't a kind of free for all for any drummer. So I stood in front of, <laughs> I stood in front of Tim, and I was literally air drumming the parts. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Tim was so sweet. He didn't. He didn't laugh. You know, he took it really seriously. He watched me, remembered everything, and we went. He came into the studio with us. And this is what she's like, going back to your previous question. That was recorded in two or three takes live with Tim. I mean, we added some of the bits on top later, but basically the rhythm section, Tim's playing, was perfect. And we did four, I think we did four tracks in two days. Wow. And and that was what we needed from Tim. And then he went back. Kevin bought him a pair of shoes and he chose a pair of snakeskin shoes. That's awesome. <laughs> as, as a special thank you, you know, extra now, thank you. In the early days of the band, uh, Whisper and Uncle Poe, uh, led by, by Ken, uh, we can go back to drummer of the Groundhogs, you know. So, so there we go. For wow, yeah, yeah. We're going to go deep on drummers. <laughs> uh, lots of drummers, but he was the guy yeah, from yeah. 67 to 72 with them. So you went by Helen Spike. Uh, was that yes. due, was that due to haircut or what was where did yeah. Spike come from? Okay, yeah, Spike came from when I was in my mid-teens, um, a massive David Bowie fan. Yeah, <laughs> but, but actually, I had my hair cut more like Trevor Boulder, the bass player, okay. so it was short oh, on top yeah. and long, and um, with all sorts of colours in it. Um, and when I went to um, a sort of sixth form college, a technical college. Some of the guys just started to call me Spike, and I thought, you know what, I quite like this, and just sort of go with that. And then it stuck, you know. Um, but by the time I got to music college, I went back to Helen again because it okay. was kind of felt more classical, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not a lot of classical violinists named, named Spike. Spike. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. So I I read that you basically took a twenty year break from playing uh, when, I you, did. when you were having raising a family. What yeah. that must have been. An incredibly difficult decision was that. Was that hard to go? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna drop this for now. Um, initially, I kept an open mind. Um, so I, you know, had my first so- first son, and then I did a little bit of session work. I played with um, Graham Parker, uh, just just for one one gig, you know, which was amazing. Um, did did a few other little bits of bobs, and then I had my other son pretty quickly afterwards. By which time, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to, uh, well, actually, the truth is, I couldn't leave them. I didn't want to tour. And the fact is, um, the the musicians or bands I tend to work with, I tend to be with for a while. I'm not sort of a session musician. I play with other people here and there, but 
um, you know, like, um, true session musicians are in and out of the studio all the time, and and they that's what they tend to do. But I was more would be with a band and work with them and develop songs and then go on tour and record and. I just couldn't go on tour and leave my my boys, you know. And, and also, I must admit, I quite liked the break. I just thought I'd just have a bit of a break and and then see. And then time went on and time went on. Um, and then I started to lose confidence because I didn't play at all. And it, I, I did all sorts of other things, you know. I trained as a gardener and I helped out the school and I did this and I did that and all sorts of part time jobs to fit in the kids. But all the time, I was thinking, you know, I'm missing it actually, but. It was one of those things where I, I almost didn't want to admit to myself because by doing that, it, it would have, I, I wasn't ready to play again either. You know, I, I didn't, anyway, to cut a long story short, in the end, by the time, by the time my sons had grown up and they went, they went to music college as well, and one of them is a drummer, and by this time it was like really missing it, and it, uh, by then it was just, it was almost out of my control, and I just mm. had to play again but it was a quite a difficult journey back you know it took yeah. a while so well you should have called us because i can build your confidence i'm going to help you right here i'm going to tell you some things that i just love okay so 1990 your project southern hearts originally titled romanza if i'm not mistaken that correctly perfect Absolutely. music for studying so the title oh. track is beautiful and soothing my favorite track is love and respect also so peaceful. Oh, thank you. So good stuff. Thank so you. We're, we'll be confidence builders here for a minute. This is just me <laughs> gushing over you, Helen. So smart oh. play on A Night in Ireland. So smart to cover Danny Boy. If you're going to play A Night in Ireland, you cover Danny Boy, right? That's the, that's the yeah, smart approach. Yeah, so that one's for the people. Um, and now I'm going to tie oh, it into a bit of a question. Well, one of my favorite things about you is your instrumental battles on stage with Jared. How did that start? Were you like, game on, here's what I can do? Or were you like, or did that something that Kevin put together and like you guys battle it out? How did that, how did that happen? It was something that Kevin put together. Um, and it, to be honest, it was quite difficult because Jared was very loud on stage. <laughs> it's tougher to keep up with the volume level, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and, and to be, he was a bit of a Jimi Hendrix, an amazing yeah. guitarist. <laughs> yeah. And I just, sometimes I'd say, please turn down, and he'd ignore me. <laughs> and I just think, well, I'll do my best. But basically, he won all the battles. Nah. So let's put it that way. <laughs> but he's, it was a privi he's good, privilege to play with him. He's amazing. Fun. It's fun to watch you guys. He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've read that one of the one of the things that set you apart um, and and one of your particular gifts uh, was your ear. And I know that you had had some even before Dexys, you had had some experience playing, you know, sort of pop music, rock, rock music. What I read was that basically you said that playing by ear just sort of made more sense to you. Obviously, you're classically yeah. trained. You can probably just sit and sight read whatever's put in front of you. But you just felt like playing by ear made more sense in that context. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? Yes, of course. I mean, right from the beginning, to be honest, I, I um, like I say, I started when I was about nine. I was very listening to a lot of pop music on the radio. My, I'm, I'm one of seven children, so I'm at the end. I'm number six, and my brother, who was um, quite a few years older, he had he, he was the one who bought the pop records, had the radio on, was buying the Rolling Stones and Kinks and all, all, you know all, all the bands, the Beatles, um, and it just felt. It was just something very natural. If I heard a song on, on the radio, I'd think, oh, I'll try and learn that part. But, but there weren't very many fiddle players. So it was only when I heard, let's think, um, Rod Stewart's Reason to Believe. Okay. okay. Yeah. The fiddle part on that, I thought, loved it. Ha got that under my fingers. And then um, Slade, Because I Love You, um, the, the violin by Jimmy Lee on that. But that was kind of really cool because the, Jimmy Lee was really digging into his violin on that. Um, and I'd play string lines, you know, like when you'd hear strings on um, Stones albums and that sort of thing, or uh, Young, Gifted and Black by Bob and Marcia. I'd learned that string line. And then my brother put um, a little family group together. So he'd play guitar, I'd play violin. Um, my brother would, other brother would play a bit of percussion. My mum would get the maracas out. <laughs> my sister would play guitar. And we'd just play pop songs. And that every Sunday we would do that, and and that developed my ear. I think a lot. You know, I had a very very good um, musical um, uh, a music teacher at school who, in the choirs, we'd sing Beatles songs and Beach Boys and stuff. So 
I had a wide range of, of um, opportunities, if you like, to, to develop my ear. And then it, but it always just felt natural, as natural, in fact, more natural, really, than playing classical music. Even classical music, I would tend to learn by heart so that I didn't have to look at the notes, so I could play just listening, you know. So yeah. I think it was more about listening, more about listening than looking, you know, That's than awesome. reading. Well, we've got two or three more that we'll just throw out at you, then we'll let you enjoy your day. Thanks so much. So on the hit, Thank you. Jackie Wilson said, I'm in heaven when you smile, on top of the pops. So fun. Where are the horns in the video? So I hear the horns, but I can't see them. Is it canned? Is it on track? Is that something y'all put in it? How does top of the pops work? Help us with that. In terms oh, of the well, the, the single, the Jackie Wilson, there was a single version, which is different to the album version. So the single version, the record company asked us to put the violins on. So what you're hearing on top of the pops was the single, okay. which the horns, horns were way back. And yeah. they, because basically, because Kamen Eileen had been so successful and was string led, they wanted, Jackie Wilson said, the single version to be string led. Okay. Kevin wasn't, Kevin wasn't that keen on, on that, but the record company got hey. their way. <laughs> so, you know. But you know what? I like him. I like I, I like do. the two different versions. You know, so That's yeah, good and clarity. people people did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So I read your letter from 1984 where you talk about how you started at nine. Everyone wanted you to go back into classical music, but you know the two years with Kevin and Dexys was the best years of your musical life. Would you say yeah. to this day that is the best two years of your musical life still? Ooh, that's a good point. Um, Possibly, actually, okay. possibly. It's it's hard to it, it, it it's it's hard because a lot of exciting things have happened since. Don't stand me down was hard was probably the album I'm most proud of being part of. But apart from playing on Kamalaleen, but um, it was such hard work. Mm -hmm. Whereas Turaye was um, I was so overjoyed to be. Yeah a part of X is to have left college, to be playing with this band, to have the success and to be touring and everything. So yeah, probably it, it probably does still stand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, one last question that we ask everybody, you're on tour either doing solo project or with Dexys, whoever you go into a gas station, like a <laughs> petrol station, petrol, uh, petrol station. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you get, what is your gas station, petrol station, snack food of choice. And while you're thinking of yours, I'll tell you what I get over here in the United States. We have a three musketeers candy bar it's the most ounces when i was growing up mom would say you could have any candy bar you want it's the most ounces they're all the same price what is your gas station petrol station snack food of choice uh, banana fresh fruit really oh, oh healthy. <laughs> how very healthy man, man so sorry healthy. to be so healthy <laughs> so the opposite of us yeah <laughs> <laughs> Helen, this has been fun. Thank you so much. We hope you've had a great time. Yeah. This has been wonderful. It's been great to meet you. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me to, to take part. Great to meet you both. Thank you, you Helen. Take Talk care. Right, Bye now. This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Helen O'Hara of Dexy's Midnight Runners. Man, this was fun. 80s month has been so much fun. Oh, gosh. Man, I've loved this. What a bazinga blowout banger goodness gracious opening to season 10 you couldn't ask for more four straight number one hits from from what has been called the greatest decade in pop music you speak for yourself now you old heads out there yeah. that are like you know it's just a little too modern for me but the ed 80s were a little edgy for me you just hang around what we've got coming there's a teaser for you that's right you guys are going to thoroughly enjoy the next several weeks so uh yeah hang around next week to find out what we've got but i'll tell you this it's another great song. Oh, Until man. then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.